Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. Uh, so, uh, as Jacob said, my name is Mark. Uh, just a little bit of backstory on me. Um, I grew up in Miamisburg, uh, and so I also grew up going to Butler Springs. So, uh, every summer we would drive right through Wilmington prior to them building the road around the, the town, and uh, we would drive right through, and then on the way home we'd drive right past the Wilmington Church of Christ. So, um, I said earlier, this is the first time I've ever driven in the parking lot. I've always driven by, but I've never driven in the parking lot until today. So uh, excited to be with you guys this morning. Um, this past summer, I had the opportunity to be out at Butler Springs as AIM was the focus of the missions at Butler Springs. So maybe some of us had a chance to overlap there a little bit if you had a chance to be out there. Uh, I was there, or my father-in-law, uh, Jim Bush, over at the Hillsborough Church of Christ. He was out there sharing about AIM as well. And so just, just an honor to be with you guys this morning. Uh, some of my personal story, my wife and I have been married uh, 20 years. We celebrated 20 years last month. And uh, we have three, t- uh, almost teenage boys, three boys. They're 11, 13, 15, and uh, they're horses. They eat like grown men. And uh, our house is a constant wrestle fest or a fight or something like that. Parents with boys or multiple boys, you totally understand this. Of um, You're just hoping that every day you don't have to patch a hole in the wall. So that's kind of our household. Um, and so... I want to give you a little bit of overview uh, of what AIM does, and then we'll dive into just a big conversation around uh, a little bit more of what that looks like. Now, AIM is working on the ground in the country of Cambodia and Belize, fighting specifically child sex trafficking, and we're involved in a number of other efforts to fight human trafficking on a whole scale, on a large scale. And so I just want to break a little bit of that down to you, tell a little bit of our story, but also have a little bit of, have a conversation around what does it look like to be involved in an issue like this, uh, because modern day slavery uh, is a very real thing and it's a catastrophic global issue. Uh, my, my personal story with it was um, I was on staff at a church in Las Vegas uh, for about eight years, and during my time there, one of our mission's partners was AIM. And so back in 2015, I got a chance to take my first trip over to Cambodia. And I remember preparing for the trip, I was somewhat aware of the issue of human trafficking around the world. I didn't have much context on the country of Cambodia at that point. And so in preparation for the trip, we we studied and understood the history, learned about the genocide in Cambodia, understood cultural issues, and just all of that had led up to the issue that Cambodia was dealing with at the time and this epidemic of trafficking. And so for me, it was huge. So in 2017, I was on my third trip over. I was leading the team from our church and we were standing down on the street in front of our hotel that evening, getting ready to go to dinner. And we're waiting on one of our teammates uh, to come down so the whole group could take off. As we're waiting, um, I just told the team, hey, why don't you guys head on? Me and my, my friend, we'll wait for our other teammate, and then we'll join you at the restaurant. So the team takes off. And as they take off, uh, down the street comes a Westerner, a guy much like myself, um, walking hand in hand with a Cambodian boy. And I just remember standing there, and, and you know in life there are things that you see that you just go, this isn't right. Like, this, this is just not right. This was one of those moments for me, uh, just incredibly clear. Now, I can't tell you what he looked like. 
I just know it was way out of place. But I can tell you the kid was barefoot and he was carrying a stuffed animal in his right hand, holding his left hand with the guy as they walked down the street. One of those things I said, you just know is not right. We'd been trained in our trips, because I'd ask the question, because this is my nature, if we see something, what do we do? And they told us, do not approach. Okay, do not approach. So I stood there for a second, and again, we're still waiting on our teammate to come down, and when they come down, we, we need to go to the restaurant to meet the rest of our team. So our teammate comes down. My buddy and I had already talked. We turned and started walking after the guy. By this point, he's a little bit down, ahead of the, down the street ahead of us, and it's dark, and we're walking behind them, and we get to the next cross street, and they're gone, disappeared. Never saw them again. No idea where they went. I've, I've reflected on a moment many, many times over the last number of years since that day, and a few things come to mind. One, I have no idea what I was going to do if I caught up to him. I don't know what I was going to say. I have no idea. Something inside of me just said, go. And at the same time, it was also kind of a defining moment for me that said, I have to do something to ensure that things like this don't happen again. That we break the cycle, we break the hold that, that this human trafficking issue has in the lives of people. Vulnerable people, exploited people. So for me, that was a defining moment. I wish the story had a different ending. But human trafficking, as it's most commonly referred to, is, 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 a, is basically a broader term that covers massive exploitation of people. A couple of examples is, is women and girls who are forced into commercial sex. Um, it's, it's men and boys and children in general that are coerced into working in hazardous conditions under debt bondage or unfair wages. And this is happening on a major global scale to the tune of about 40 million, just over 40 million people are estimated to be living as slaves someplace in the world right now. For context, that's actually more than the population of the state of California. California in their most recent census came in just over 39 million people. We're talking about more than that entire state's population. Uh, one in four of these are kids. 10 million kids are estimated to be slaves right now. Of the 40 million, 4.8 million people are being trafficked for sex, and 21% of those are kids. Now, here, I want, you to, I want you to catch this right now. My goal is not to sensationalize this issue. I don't want to dive into stories that constantly unsettle you, that disturb you, that, 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 that really make you uncomfortable, because here's what happens. Because if I do that, then your engagement will only last as long as the emotion. And when that emotion fades, your engagement or interest in the issue will drift. Now, this is true of pretty much anything in life. So I want us to just get a picture of the issue that we're talking about. But I want to dive into a little bit of nuts and bolts of what does it look like to push back the darkness, gain ground, and see traction in the fight to end it. But I want to start with a foundation so that we understand where we're starting from and what the issue is. Now, I, I would guess that some of you in the room have seen the Taken movies, right? Liam Neeson goes in and he's 
has a special set of skills, right? And he goes in, and, and that's what we envision at times. When we think of human trafficking, we envision the movies, the Taken movies. And if we're honest, there's some of us in the movies are like, I would like to play Liam Neeson's character, and that's what I would bring to the table. Now, I have an AIM SWAT shirt. It's because it's the closest thing that I could get to being on the AIM SWAT team. They will not allow me into the AIM SWAT team. I don't know why I don't, 20 years as a pastor doesn't get you access to the SWAT team. I'm not sure what will. But I've tried, and they said no. But that's the, that's, that's the justice side. I mean, that's the part of me that just churns and longs to do something in this fight. But when we envision trafficking, we often think of it in those terms, right? The movie terms. But really, in reality, it's coercion. It's someone telling a vulnerable person, hey, we'll provide a job for you. We have this amazing opportunity where you can be a housekeeper or you can be, and the list goes on, of what they tell them that they could be. Or that the opportunity is so good, you just couldn't pass this up. It's going to provide in all of these ways right? It's just deceit. It's the families or individuals that are simply just lied to and then become trapped in a situation of exploitation. It's grooming. Maybe a term you have heard. It's, it's traffickers who look for the most vulnerable people. They look for ways to build trust with them, to build a relationship with them that ultimately leads to manipulation that lands them in an exploitation situation and ultimately under the control of their trafficker. Now, I know this. I know that all of this is deeply unsettling. There's a part of us that just, that just there's a lot of emotions, I would assume, swirling in the room because you're just like, I don't know what to do with all this. I know I want to do something. I want to see this end, but I have no idea what to do, or I don't even know why I feel the way I feel right now. Psalm 82, it says this, Psalm 82, 3, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, I believe that at the core of each one of us, we are hardwired with a need and a sense of justice that sees the exploitation of others. And we say, I need to do something. But I would also say that the next part of that phrase would be, but I don't know what to do. And I would say even another step is we will often disqualify ourselves because we feel like, well, I am unqualified. I don't have the qualifications to do anything about this. Like I said, I would love to be a part of the SWAT team, but I don't have those qualifications. So I personally wrestled with this for a long time to go, what do I do? Somebody who has worked in the church as a pastor for most all of my adult life, well, how do I do anything to make a difference or a dent in an issue like this? At AIM, this is our story. Back in 2005, our co-founders, Don and Bridget Brewster, were in their early 50s, and they were fresh off a mission trip to the country of Cambodia where they had spent time traveling the country encouraging pastors. Don was on staff at a church in California, and they come home and they saw a documentary about the child sex trafficking epidemic in Cambodia at the time, and were completely blown away because they had not seen that during their time in Cambodia, but immediately were stirred with the thought of, we have to do something. So they began to develop a plan to start an aftercare program for girls that had been rescued out of trafficking. 
That's where they were going to begin. And so they, they formulated this plan and they presented the plan actually to another NGO in Cambodia. And they were asked questions of like, are you a teacher? Are you a doctor? Are you, you know, all these things, counselor, law enforcement. No, no, no. We don't have any letters behind our name. Like we don't have any certifications. So the, the NGO basically said, it may be better for you just to stay home and send money. But they knew and they felt that God was calling them to do this. Bridget has, has said, really, we didn't know what to do, but we knew this. We knew we had to say yes to Jesus. So I want you to hear that. Never underestimate what God will do with your yes. Aim started with a yes. It just started with a yes. Here's what I love. Paul writes in Romans 8, 37, he says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than we think we are because of who he is. When we come up against situations like this where we can easily go like, that's huge, I don't know what to do, I'm probably not qualified to do it. That's fine, we're probably not. But he is. And because of who he is, we can simply step into situations that are far above our pay grade and do something impactful for the kingdom. 16 years ago, we started in Cambodia with an aftercare program. And the plan was, we're going to open this aftercare program. It's going to take a while to fill up. And then we'll ultimately, you know, move on from there. Well, it filled in a matter of months. And immediately the learning curve kicked in and we had to figure out, well, they're being rescued, but somebody continues to take their place. So how do we break the cycle? How do we stop that when we rescue, somebody else doesn't get picked up for that spot? How do we stop it? We started to ask a series of questions. Uh, things like, how do we effectively get victims out of the grip of exploitation? Right? How, how can we ensure that survivors are launching successfully back into their communities? Can we create, can we create ways that would prevent trafficking from ever happening? How do we stop it? How do we break its hold in a community? And so from there, those types of questions began to help shape the four-pillar approach that we take to trafficking now. I want to give you just kind of a few highlights here and there of, of these four things. The first one, and we've already talked a little bit about this, we rescue. We rescue. So back in 2014, we started our SWAT team. And we work hand-in-hand with the Cambodian law enforcement. That was a priority because we wanted this to be a long-term change. So we walk hand-in-hand and work hand-in-hand with Cambodian government, which has opened up a ton of doors for opportunities to be a part of rescues and raids. But it started out of a failed rescue. So prior to our starting of our SWAT team, we were contacted by a girl who was trapped in a brothel. She gave us the information about where she was. We took that to a partner of ours at the time who was doing rescues. It took us three days to organize we showed up at the, at the brothel. They were gone. We didn't know where they were. They'd been tipped off. What's incredible is, during that time, this girl, being as bold as can be, told her trafficker, I'm not scared. Aim is coming for me. I was like, man, that's some serious courage. He panicked. He actually let her go. 
Well, it took us 22 days to locate her. And over that time, we found out through, through police records after the fact, she'd been trafficked 198 times. Right? And we think 22 days, that's not long. But that kind of trauma is almost unthinkable, unfathomable. But here's what we learned. We learned this, that one girl is too many and one day is too long. We have to do something about this. And so that was the springboard into our SWAT team. What's incredible is this. That same girl, now grown, and on the other side of healing and restoration, she is now an active part of our SWAT team as a social worker. She goes back into those places and she is meeting those who are being rescued right in the midst of their trauma, knowing full well what they are experiencing. She's able to meet with them and walk with them forward from rescue. Because we know this, trauma has a powerful impact on victims of trafficking. Having a team equipped with an understanding to meet victims in the midst of their trauma has been transformational for us. Survivor abolitionists have been incredible. Our largest raid to date was out of a brick factory. Picture of a brick factory here in Cambodia. In the back is where they, they get the mud and the, and the clay and they pack them. And these are bricks that are in the midst of drying. From here, they'll be transported into giant kilns where they'll be baked to harden. Well, over the course of a five-month period, we rescued 30 children out of a brick factory because they were being trafficked for labor. Because brick, the, the kilns are giant, uh, almost in a pyramid shape. And kids were being used to get back into the nooks and the crannies and were actually being hurt. That's how we became aware of a child that was pretty severely hurt. So we went in and did rescues and ensured that these kids got to safe places. Places they could be kids again. Places they could heal and be restored. The second thing we do is we heal. We heal. Now, when I say that, this is what I mean. Girls are experiencing the relentless, unconditional love of Christ tangibly through our restoration homes, aftercare programs, through the hands-on care of our house moms, our social workers, and our therapists, right? And they stay with us as long as they need. They're a part of the process, get to make decisions as far as next steps and all of that. And then our social workers will walk with them for as long as they want. If that's the rest of their life, then that's the rest of their life. They get to set the tone, when the, when the girls come in, they're a part of what's called a princess ceremony. It's this. When they come in, a crown is placed on their head. They receive things like a picture and a lockbox so they can put their own personal things. It's just setting the tone for the experience they'll have there of understanding you are a cherished child of the king. God is madly in love with you, and you have value and worth, and so we want to set the tone when they are first into the aftercare process so they understand how much they are valued. At any given time, there's about 60 girls in our restoration center where they're receiving ongoing therapy, um, vocational training, educational catch-up, we have three transition homes where, where women will go and, and work more and more towards independence, living on their own, getting back out into their own community. And currently right now, we have a new restoration home being built in the country of Belize, hoping to have that open later this year. The third thing we do is we empower. We empower. We know this, sustainable employment 
is incredibly successful in breaking the cycle of exploitation. At AIM, our, our, what we have experienced is a 99% success rate when a, when a survivor is employed with AIM of her not returning to a, a trafficking situation. At the employment centers, women are able to uh, under, uh, receive vocational training, a living wage, education, child care, uh, devotionals, health care, access to social workers. It's helping them get back on their feet, building that dignity, that empowerment back in them so they can launch successfully back into their communities with skills. We, we know this plays a pivotal role in helping them understand things like goal setting and just the foundation that they need to propel themselves forward. My shirt that I have on was made in our employment centers. Uh, online, you can buy different things that are made in and through our employment centers. There's jewelry, there's shirts. That the, that the women are learning and making. There's custom-made stuff. Churches order custom-made shirts all the time that are made in and through our employment centers. But what I love about it is, whether it's a piece of jewelry or it's a shirt, that the woman who made it gets to sign it. Her name is on it. Because it ties you together with someone's freedom story. You are representing someone's story. You have a story to share. You may not know her. You may never meet her. But in and through, you just wearing something simple like a shirt. You are a part of someone's freedom story. The fourth thing we do is we protect. We protect. It's, it's answering that question, well, how would we stop this before it ever started? How would we stop it before it ever started? So we want to prevent the exploitation of future generations in two ways. The first way is, how do we address the vulnerabilities? Because traffickers will prey on the most vulnerable people. So in the communities that we serve, we found that education is one of the best ways to address the vulnerabilities where we work. Right here, this is the village of Swipok. The village of Swipok was known as the epicenter of child sex trafficking in the country of Cambodia, if not all of Southeast Asia at the time we started our work there. It's why we landed there. At one point, the street was lined with brothels that sold kids. Now, today, you're looking at a picture of the Ames School sitting there. Just to the right of the Ames School is the employment center, one of our employment centers, the, the tall white building. Two buildings up the street from it with the tall, with the red roof, that is our church. Right there in the heart of Swipok. At the AIM school, that serves about 600 students currently. With We're growing some more opportunities to come in the next school year. We're, we're really excited about it. It's going to expand capacity to serve kids. Here's the priority at the school. It's for the poorest of the poor. Cambodia has a, 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 a three-tiered poor system. Poor one, poor two, poor three. Our school is for those who are in the poor three tier. Meaning they make about $100 or less a month. And so our school is for those, because here's, here's why that is, because those kids would be le the least likely to have access to education like this. Education that empowers them, that helps give value to them, that launches them for a successful future. That's why we prioritize serving those kids. Here's what I love. There's a picture of a playground. Why is this significant? In my trips to Cambodia, I have never seen a, a playground, except this one. This is at the AIM school. 
Why I love this is something that we, we say at AIM is every child deserves a childhood. This is just one example of how we prioritize that, where kids can come to school and just be kids. They can run outside, they can play on a playground and just be kids in a safe place. On top of our same school, we do Kids Club, traveling kids ministry that's, that's serving kids in their communities. It's reaching hundreds of kids on a weekly basis. On the, the second thing that we do on the prevention side is we ask ourselves the question, how do we address demand? How do we confront demand? Those who are most often consuming, how do we confront that. So back in 2009, we started what's called the Lord's Gym. It's a Muay Thai boxing gym where men, young men, late teens, early 20s are coming to learn Muay Thai boxing, but are walking away being mentored and discipled on a regular basis. And and when I say training in a boxing gym, this is a legit training gym. We're ranked third in the country as a gym behind two military gyms. We've coached multiple national champions. We have a, a boxer that is, is ready and, and has qualified at the World Games level. But more importantly, that same boxer came to know Christ through the gym and is now very public about his faith, shares his faith, has used his platform to share what Christ has done in his life. Now, here, here's what I know. There are a lot of times we can hear all the things I've just laid out to you and go, okay, that's great. You guys sound like you've got it figured out. Good for you. It doesn't sound like you need me. I don't think I could really bring anything to the table because you've developed a solution. But I, but I want us to remi- remember this. Remember I said never underestimate what God will do with your yes. Today we'll give you an opportunity to say yes. What would you say yes to? What would it look like? It's not overly complicated. In life, addressing major issues like this, it's this. See a need, meet the need. See the need, meet the need. In Matthew 25, we read this. It says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me, right? See a need, meet the need. When you see a need in the world, believe it or not, you are uniquely qualified to address it. Go back to what we talked about just a few minutes ago, right? We are qualified and equipped because of who he is, not because of who I am, but because of who Christ is. We are set up to meet needs like this. Let me give you some practicality around this, right? You and I have been entrusted with certain things in life. We have been given time, talent, resources. God gave it to us. Now it's our time to steward that, use it for maximum impact. So what is it that God has given you that you can turn around and give to others? Because when we give to others, we are making a kingdom impact. We can make a dent in an issue like this when we turn around and give of what has been given to us. Right? What can you give from what has been given to you? The second thing is you can share. You can be a voice. You and I have a voice. We have an opportunity to tell others about things that are going on in the world around us. Issues like this, this human trafficking issue. We have the opportunity to use our influence, our voice to make people aware. 
Because you never know when you make someone aware how they'll respond to the ideas they'll come up with to go like, oh, I've got a great idea. I could do this. But maybe they were never aware. You can also use your voice to be an advocate for those who might not have a voice of their own. Maybe they don't know what to do or where to go with the situation they find themselves in, but you do. You can be their voice. The third thing you can do is you can serve. You can serve. You've been given a unique set of skills. God is calling you to put that into practice. So you can ask yourself the question, who are the most vulnerable in my community? In Wilmington, in Clinton County. And how can I address those needs? That's where it starts. Let me bring this a little bit closer to home. I, I think a lot of times when we think of human trafficking, we think of global issues, right? We think of it overseas. This is happening across the world somewhere else. But maybe you've been at a recent Reds game, like in the past week or so, and you've probably heard there's a message now playing. Uh, Reds games, a combined effort between the attorney generals in Kentucky and Ohio about the issue of human trafficking, where they've come together and said, enough is enough. We need to be proactive and put this on a bigger scale to make people aware. So now there's messages being played at Reds games. Back in June of this year, the Columbus Dispatch reported this. It says, a new report that the U, a new report shows that the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of Ohio, which includes Columbus, charged the second highest number of federal human trafficking defendants in the nation in 2020. Second highest in the nation. The report by the Human Trafficking Institute found that three cases involving 15 defendants were filed in 2020 by federal prosecutors working in the Southern District of Ohio. According to the World Population Review, Ohio ranks in the top 10 in the U.S. for human trafficking. And this is one that bothers me pretty significantly. Ohio currently has around 16,000 children in the foster care system. 16,000. In the U.S., one of our most vulnerable populations to human trafficking are those who have been impacted by the foster care system. And so when we look at this, I want us just to think, okay, we, we have vulnerable populations all around us in our communities, in our country, and around the world. What can we do actively, proactively to step in, to stand in the gaps, to be the voice, to be the advocates for people who would otherwise be vulnerable. We can be CASA advocates, walk alongside of kids who have no one to advocate for them, no one to be their voice in the foster care system. Right, again, we could, we could really get our heads together and brainstorm some creative ways to get involved, to eradicate issues like this, to prevent these vulnerabilities. All right, here, here's where I want to land, right? It is like I said at the beginning, I don't want to sensationalize this and just leave you emotionally hanging to go, all right, go figure it out, right? Take this heavy issue and you guys go home and you're like, I don't know what to do with this. I want to, I want to give you a glimpse of what does it look like when someone says yes to Jesus, what does he do with that? In Cambodia, I told you we've been there since 2005 and I showed you the picture of the village. Well, in 
2005 when we started there, that village, I told you, looked a little different. School didn't exist. The church didn't exist. The employment center wasn't there. Today, it's, it's a paved street where kids can rollerblade in the evenings. They have a school. They have a church. And when we started in the village, there was a hotel being built for consumers. When they found out that AIM was coming into the community, they stopped construction. Well, we got a hold of the building and we put a church in it. The, the hotel for consumers never opened. The only thing that has ever been in that building has been AIM. It's been our church. That church has now grown and expanded and built out the back onto what was a dump. It used to house our school and a bunch of our ministry programs. The brothels are all gone. Many of them now ministry sites where Ames programs are housed. It wasn't an overnight thing. It was a long time. But when people say yes to Jesus, he comes in and does things that we could never do on our own, things we could never even dream of. He does that. I talked about SWAT. Well, since that, we've been a part of nearly 1,600 rescues and 440 arrests, walking hand in hand with Cambodian law enforcement. Over 1,000 women have been served through our empowerment efforts. Thousands are served every single year through our prevention and protection efforts. Hundreds have experienced healing through our aftercare programs. And hundreds of children have received quality education. And a local church is growing and thriving and serving their community. It even has a heartbeat for missions around the world. I love that about the church. They don't just focus there. They have taken up offerings that they have sent out of their community and overseas. And a village that was once lined with brothels is now a place that kids can be outside and play. God is pushing back the darkness. This is not a story about any human or individual who did something that needs to be applauded or recognized. This is simply pointing to a God who said, if you'll say yes, I'm going to take you on a journey you never expected, a journey you would have never been able to create or craft for yourself. But God is gaining ground in this fight. And he's using people like us to do it. He's mobilizing the church. Our vision at AIM is this. We believe that Christ through his followers, through his church, will bring an end to human trafficking. That's what we believe. The church is uniquely equipped to address this issue. It's why we're having the conversation today. It's why I do what I do. And here's this. Anyone can make a difference. Anyone. Don Bridget never envisioned themselves doing this, not necessarily even starting in their 50s. But they said yes. This past summer, I told you, uh, we got to be out at Butler Springs. This past summer, elementary, middle, and high school kids rallied together to raise over $15,000 to fight human trafficking. Anybody can make a difference. Let me leave you with this. We were made for this. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, we, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works was God prepared in advance for us to do. You and I were made for this. God equipped us with a unique set of skills when tapped into his power can do unbelievable things for the kingdom.
So I want you to ask yourself three questions this week. Three questions. What has God given me that I can give to others? Who can I share this with? And where do my skills overlap with the needs of my community? Right? What has God given me that I can give to others? Take an inventory. What has God given me? Who can I share it with? And where do my skills overlap with the needs of my community and the needs of the world? Because those are the areas you need to double down in in life and go, okay, that's an invitation to say yes. What would God do? What might God do in that place? We're grateful for moments like this at AIM where we get to share with the church of what God is doing around the world and advancing his kingdom through everyday people who just simply said yes. People who would go at the end of the day, I don't feel qualified to do anything. I don't feel qualified to do this. And, and there are days it just makes me nervous and scared, but yet I know that there is a God who goes before us and he is the one pushing back the darkness. So I'm gonna pray. Dale's gonna come up and kind of wrap us up with things. Um, but let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful for today. We're grateful for the opportunity that we have to gather together, to celebrate, to be reminded of who you are and ultimately who we are because of that. That we are cherished and loved and valued by you. And God, I pray that you would send us out this week with conviction, with boldness, with courage, but God, with wisdom, with eyes to see the things you'd have us to see, places you'd have us to go, people you'd have us to meet with. God, help us to see and take an inventory of the way you've wired us and gifted us, and may we turn around and see how you would call us to share those with others who might be in need. God, we're grateful. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to help you take your next best step. If you would like more information about how to do that, visit us online at wcconline.org and fill out a Connect card. If this message has inspired you, be sure to share it with a friend. And don't forget to keep up with us on social media. Thanks again for joining.